So maybe a first question would be, give us a state of just your tribes. Madison has just been designated in December, Truax Field, as the home of F-35A. Doctor, can you start? Give us an overview. Ron Martin is president of the state's largest teachers union, the Wisconsin Educa Education Association Council. On November 13, he and uh, WEAC's executive director wrote Andrea Palm, state secretary of the Department of Health Services, asking for a statewide standard that would determine when our K-12 schools would be uh, open in person for learning, for in-person learning or online. So it's a great time for Ron Martin to join Wisconsin Eye for a Newsmakers. Ron, welcome back to Wisconsin Eye. Thanks, it's good to be back, Steve. Um, Ron, I do wanna to get to your request, your November 3rd letter um, asking for a statewide standard because that's the purpose of this interview. But just yesterday, Assembly Republicans came out with a COVID-19 package. And I wanna ask you about two specific proposals of Assembly Republicans. And let's be sure, Senate Republicans have not signed off on these and they probably won't pass muster with Governor Evers. But when Assembly Republicans want all K-12 teachers to teach from those schools by the end of January, point one and point two, local school boards would have to, have to have a two-thirds vote to offer online instruction. As president of the largest teachers union, what's your response, sir? You know, I, I just think that those um, and many of the other provisions that were introduced by the um, the caucus leadership it really, um, you know, you know, flies in the face of true democracy as well as being able to deal with the true problem at hand. You know, the two thirds local uh, school board vote that you know that's that's simply taking the control out of a, a duly elected body. I'm not so sure that um, Representative Voss would appreciate our federal government coming in and saying any law that's passed in Wisconsin has to receive you know two thirds of the vote of the legislature. I don't think he'd appreciate that because it's you know he's a duly elected individual, and I don't think that we should be doing that for our local school boards either. And I think that that's uh, simply um, overstepping the bounds of the legis legislature and, and not democracy. Quick follow-up, Ron. What is the number one thing that Assembly Republicans could do to help our K-12 schools, teachers, faculty, staffers, students fight COVID-19, if not that package they announced yesterday? Right, I think they simply have to provide additional resources so that we can provide the things that are needed so that we can keep our staff and students safe, like PPE. It's costing school districts a lot of money to be able to provide those kinds of um, uh, gowns and masks, et cetera, um, as well as more resources for uh, hiring additional staff so that we can get class sizes down, particularly for those school districts that are face-to-face. -face. So I guess simply put, Steve, um, additional resources would have been nice for our, our public schools. Before we get into the guts of your letter, which I found fascinating, um, let me ask you this overview question. Don't Wisconsin school children learn better in person? Absolutely. And I don't think there'd be a teacher that would disagree with you, Steve. We absolutely want to be face to face with our students. There isn't a teacher that I've talked to that doesn't wish they could be in the classroom 100% of the time face to face with their students. But we're in a pandemic. We're in a crisis. We're in a situation where we have a deadly virus that is wreaking havoc, not only on our state, but this country. And until we get control of that, 
We can't have business as usual. We can't do what we've always done before. And I'll tell you, Steve, we're ready. When this pandemic is over, we're ready to put in the extra um, time, extra resources, and what's needed to be able to get these students caught up, to get them you know, back to where they need to be. Okay, now I wanna quote from that letter. Uh, Ron, you say, school districts across Wisconsin are caving to community pressure to remain open um, rather than uh, basing those decisions on science. Um, you use the example of uh, Kenosha, Oconomowoc, Middleton Cross Plains. Uh, number one, uh, talk to me about what happened in each of those three communities and why that's the wrong way to go. Well, I think what happened there was the school boards in all three situations, they first looked at what the science said. They worked with their local um, health departments. And that's been our stance since day one, since March, when this all broke and we had to close down our schools. And, and then there had to be a decision, how are we going to um, restart or reopen our schools in the fall? That it has to be a locally controlled decision, meaning each school board with administration needs to make that decision and it needs to be based on science. They need to work closely with their health departments. And in all three situations, that's what they did. Um, I can speak most specifically to Kenosha. I mean, their first vote was to go virtual because they had worked with their local county health department. They looked at their numbers and they said, you know, we, we can't open face-to-face. -face. We need to go virtually. Well, there was a, an effort by a group of parents um, to organize against that and to put a lot of pressure on the school board uh, to reverse that decision. And that happened, you know, in all three of those um, school districts. Uh, and well, I, I get that it's a, it's hard and it's challenging for parents, but the number one concern a school board must take is the health and safety of its students and its staff. And um, when they cave to uh, a parental pressure because um, it's not convenient for them, you know, that's not the way a, a school board should operate. And um, we're putting a lot of people at risk. Well, you said that school districts in an ideal world should rely on advice from local health departments. But your letter quotes one specific county health officer in Pepin County is saying, I'm not gonna offer any advice. So uh, how consistent or lack of consistent is the advice from local health departments statewide, Ron? And that's really the purpose for the letter. I mean, we were really counting on local health departments and school districts to work collaboratively to come up with requirements that would be based on science to be able to determine if the school should be open, face-to-face -face instruction, or if it should be virtual or some sort of hybrid in between. We are really counting on that. And what we are finding out from our members um, that there's uh, kind of the Wild West going on out there. Um, there's a lot of uh, pressure from uh, local elected officials to force health departments to say no don't 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 be making gating requirements don't be making this you know too strict and you know kids don't get the virus like adults do so the safest place for anybody to be or is at, at the school and so um we realize it's just it's it's a hit and miss out there it's it's the wild west and um you know i i think i identified you know in uh, one county the you know right next door um you know they have really good gating requirements and they have a, a criteria set up and then right next door, no criteria. And so we're real concerned about that because we know this virus doesn't stay within boundaries, doesn't stay within walls. It, it, it travels everywhere. Well, you also in your letter, Ron, you say Wisconsin is number five in the nation in terms of COVID in children. 
So uh, this is this is a very real situation that every parent worries, wakes up every day worrying about. Correct? Absolutely. You know, and when when I think about this is. I remember a few years back, well, several years back, the Bloomer Middle School was closed down because of a mold problem. They had black mold growing up and down the wall and they, the walls, and they had, they closed it down. And I thought, you know, what's the difference? You know, a deadly mold like that, it's because they could see the mold. They can't see COVID. COVID's inside of us. And uh, that's, that's the huge difference. We'll close down when we can see it, but when we can't, we won't. And I think that that's real dangerous. Well, if there's no advice coming from a local health department, then your letter points out that different school boards have set different standards. You refer to the North Shore School District. Mm -hmm. uh, they would go uh, online if there were 350 positives per 100,000 residents. Walworth County, though, uh, 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 a different standard. But talk to me about Racine. Racine Health Department wanted to make all their schools go uh, public and private schools go online and the Supreme Court last week issued an order saying you can't do that. So what does that tell you about the varying local situations? Well, that, that's a prime example right there. I mean, what, what you've just brought up about Racine. And, and the other mitigating factor with the Racine uh, situation is Racine has a large number of schools that were built in the 1940s, 1950s. They don't even have proper ventilation. And they're not given the additional resources. They don't have extra resources to be able to get their class sizes down. So not only that, but then you look at what the science is saying from the Racine County Health Department they're making the right decision by saying they should be virtual until we can get some sort of vaccine or we can get some sort of control. And by doing that, they've allowed the educators there to be able to plan out and prepare lessons. While it might not be face-to-face -face instruction, they're still going to get good instruction from highly qualified educators. It's just going to be done in a different way. You and I have seen the sad numbers on the achievement gap in Wisconsin. Um, the, how, how has the pandemic, how will it contribute to the uh, achievement gap in Wisconsin between white students and students of color? Absolutely, and we've had this problem for a significant number of years, and it's it's only gotten worse, particularly for our black students in the state of Wisconsin. This pandemic will um, obviously uh, wreak havoc um, on uh, the achievement gap. It's going to to widen that, but I think we're going to all see a drop in achievement with our students during this time period, and we're going to have to then do whatever we can when we're able to be back in in face to face instruction, offering all kinds of resources to be able to get our our kids back to where they need to be. And then we have to pay special attention to our students of color, making sure that we're offering resources. And that's really what our legislature should be doing. They should be looking at the kinds of resources that they could provide for school districts so that they could after offer after school um, uh, additional time for students and families. Um, other resources with community um, uh, uh, engagements or connections like the local public library or the Boys and Girls Club, those are the kinds of things that they should be addressing, not punitive things that hurt our schools. Your letter says that school districts have used different standards. You refer specifically to school districts that have set a specific number of positives per 100,000. Then you refer to districts like Franklin, which say we'll shut down if we cannot contact, contact trace, 
within 24 or 36 hours. And then finally, you talk about districts that have adopted standards. If we have X percentage of students and faculty out with COVID, then we'll go online. What standard is WEAC asking for? Well, in the letter, we identify and we ask that the that the Department of Health Services look at the the national standard. And, and Steve, off the top of my head, it's it's failing me. It's the uh, Boston, the Harvard, Harvard, um, yes, the but Harvard. Anyway, um, it, it, you refer in your letter to a case incident. Uh, in other words, X number of positives per hundred thousand. Right. And then also to be able to look at some other mitigating factors like the Shorewood School District has um, as uh, identified within their criteria in determining if they should be able to open. So not only looking at the, the, the incident rates, incidence rates of uh, COVID, but also some other factors like the hospital bed um, utilization and all those other sorts of things that the health department are experts on. You know, I'd like to say that I, I know a little bit about this, but I really don't when it comes to the actual science. And I have to rely on the people who are scientists, who are doctors, and they have to be able to be the ones to tell us what it should be. I can tell you how to educate a child and and, and, and the needs of a child and, and how we do instruction, but we have to let the experts be able to give us guidance and direction. And that's really the, the meat of what this letter is saying is that the DHS really needs to set that gating requirement to help local school districts and local county health departments um, be able to make the decision based on, um, you know, real strong uh, evidence from the DHS. Um, you're hearing from your members statewide. Is there one school district you want to call out for doing uh, basically everything right? I mean, is there one school district that occurs to you that is really on top of it? You know there, I, I, you know there are several, I'm sure, um, and I and I hate to call out any one in particular. I know my own school district, the Eau Claire area school district, and working with many of my friends who teach there, my colleagues, um, you know they they've done some right things there, and working with the parents, the community, being able to determine what's best, being able to make sure that their class sizes are smaller so that they can keep the social distancing, mandating, requiring students wear masks unless they have a medical authorization that does not um, or that prohibits them from wearing a mask. Those are all really important things, but then being able to offer to the parents uh, the choice to be able to have their child go virtual because the parents are, are fearful and uh, being able to make sure that that's set up in a really um, uh, good way and, and, and a way in which the child feels connected to the class, to the teacher. And so, uh, and then also the, the Eau Claire Area School District, I know they've given the, the educators there um, some flexibility uh, to be able to, uh, you know, uh, spend some time working with students in different ways, uh, less department meetings, less grade level meetings, and more time with families and kids. Uh, and again, there are so many good things going on in the state right now when it comes to what administrations and school boards have decided, but we have to make sure that this is consistent throughout the state. The only way we're going to get control of COVID is we have to get make sure that you know, we all have guidelines that we follow. You're hearing from teachers, your members across the state. What's their biggest fear? How afraid are they if they, when they, if they have to go back to an in-person learning environment? 
Well, number one, they're afraid that they might be a carrier and bring it to one of their family members. Um, and they'd be just devastated if they were the ones to bring COVID to their home that um, might have take might take the life of their spouse or or their parent or even one of their own children. So th I, that's they're really fearful of that. Um, they're very scared, you know, scared of that. Um, you know, I think many of the educators are, you know, concerned overall for the health of all students as well. You know, we don't know, there's so much unknown about COVID. And so they're so fearful that, you know, they've got all these students gathered in a classroom and, you know, they just don't know what this disease will do, what this virus will do or how it affects children. There's still so much unknown out there that they're worried about the long-term effects. I'm sorry to have to ask this, but how many WEAC members have died of COVID-19? Um, to my knowledge right now, we have, I believe, five educators that have passed away. Um, but we've had several of our members contact us that a family member has passed away. I, I can't give you that number, but I do know um, we had early on two support staff uh, individuals pass away in Milwaukee. Um, and then... Um, uh, most recently, I think uh, it's been three educators, a Milwaukee educator, um, well, Howard Suamico, and then I believe one more. Okay. Um, the, um, who should adopt this standard? You wrote your letter to Health, Health Services Secretary Andrea Palm. Does DHF have the, uh, do your lawyers say DHS has the authority to do this? Can DPI do this uh, uh, based on recommendations from DHS? Or would it take another uh, 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 governor's declaration of emergency to do this? My understanding from the attorneys that I work with at WEAC is that the DHS has the authority to be able to mandate that local health departments use these gating requirements or use the gating requirements that are established by the DHS, that they have the authority to do that. The decision still lies with the local health department and the school district based on um, the, the, all the other factors, but the DHS does have the authority. Well, um Governor Evers, of course, former superintendent of public instruction. Now I've covered his press conference. He said repeatedly, this is a local school district by school district decision. By WEAC asking for a statewide standard, are you going against uh, the governor saying it should be done on a school, school board by school board basis? We're actually trying to help the school boards. We're trying to help the school boards and the administrators with a consistent consistent gating requirement for all. Right now it isn't consistent and it's 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 proving to be a, a wild west out there. So I don't believe we're going against the local control other than here's the standard, you have to apply it. Now you need to determine what's best and how you um, offer instruction. Is it a hybrid or is it face-to-face -face or is it virtual? Um, and is it based on you know the gating requirements that have been established by the DHS? Well, you and I are following eagerly and anxiously the debate over vaccines. Here's my question. Now, the priority for vaccines, healthcare workers, then uh, uh, older Americans in nursing homes, long-term care facilities, then people over 65, where should Wisconsin, no, where should teachers nationally rank in the, uh, in the line, in the priorities to, to get the vaccines? Uh, I absolutely think that, uh, you know, if we're going to um, continue to have face-to-face -face instruction, um, we have to have our educators up near the top. 
They have to be up near um, our, our healthcare workers, our essential workers, fire police. They need to be um, moved into that category when it comes to the vaccine. And I do realize that there's going to be a limited amount of vaccine out there. And so if we can't get it to the educators in that top tier, we have to be in the next tier at the top of that next tier. So healthcare workers, essential workers, the elderly um, over 65 and those with you know, um, uh, medical situations or circumstances. And then that next tier, I think educators have to be at the top. Tragically this week, um, a 16 year old Madison East High School student died. What message does that uh, tell state policymakers and legislators about where we stand vis-a-vis the pandemic, sir? that the virus does not discriminate based on age. For so long, we've heard it really just attacks um, uh, people who are a little bit older or who have special uh, uh, medical conditions or situations um, that this, it really does affect um, teenagers and young people as well. We're coming up, Ron, on the 10th year anniversary of Act 10. Talk to me about the impact of Act 10 on uh, Wisconsin's teachers, well, or your members. Absolutely, Stephen. You know what? I I think that our, our superintendents and our school boards can answer this better than anyone. And why I say that is, is they're all talking about this teacher shortage in Wisconsin. They're all talking about there's not enough teachers to fill all the positions and we don't have enough students in the pipeline in the teacher prep programs to fill all what could be the vacancies in the next three, four years. So let's rewind a little bit and let's take a look at what causes or what is um, what are some of the factors for people not wanting to go into the teaching profession, the lack of respect, the lack of respect for educators. And that's really what Act 10 did. It, it took, uh, it took um, uh, teachers away from the table, the decision-making. It didn't allow for teachers to be able to have a voice in their workplace. Um, it, it didn't allow for teachers to have just cause so that if they spoke up against something that was being done in their district, um, you know, they could be punished or, or penalized. The morale within our teaching profession has been at the lowest that I've ever seen it. Um, and this is pre-pandemic, pre-COVID. Can't imagine it now. It's got to be even worse. And, you know, when they took the ability for us to be able to talk with management about our salary, and they took away salary schedules, um, and they took away voice, it just created um, an environment where who wants to be a teacher now? And that's well, really the ultimate impact of Act 10. Okay, but you and I have heard Republican legislators and candidates and former Governor Scott Walker saying that Act 10 saved Wisconsin residents five more than $5 billion, money they didn't have to pay. Your response? My response is, is uh, first of all, I'd like to actually see the, the real proof of that, where those savings really are, because, you know, they were the one-time savings that aren't a continual savings for districts. So I'd like to really see the proof in that. But secondly is unintended consequences, the unintended, unintended consequences of not being able to have a teacher workforce um, and is, is going to be detrimental to the future of public education in Wisconsin. And, it, and, and that can't be measured in dollars or numbers. It's going to be measured in 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 being able to attract and retain quality educators. Has WEAC lost more than half its members over the last ten years? Two thirds of its members. What what percentage? 
Yeah, you know, gosh, that question has not been asked in so long, Steve. We're on the rise every year. We're growing in membership. Um, so I think right away, initially, when Act 10 hit, we 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 got hit pretty hard, and it was you know 50%. But we're now slowly on the rise of um, of gaining back our numbers. Um, you know, we just got done with the recertification vote, which doesn't determine if you're a union. It just determines if you have the right uh, to bargain with the uh, school board and administration over base wage. And 98% uh, of the locals that participated in the recertification successfully passed that. And so we're on the rise. We're on the, we're continually growing, getting new members. Um, our largest membership growth has been our, our new teachers. And so they really believe in the union. They believe in, in what we can do and, and the power of solidarity. And it's been really kind of enlightening in, uh, from me as an older teacher. Well, um, the combination of the pandemic forcing many teachers to go online, some of them may not have, may not be as effective an online a teacher as others. Mm -hmm. So has, uh, have, have we seen a lot of retirements, both because of the pandemic and Act 10 in the last years? Absolutely. I mean, Act 10, we saw a record number of retirements in the, uh, you know, the, 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 the years that followed Act 10, the most immediate years, we saw a large number of individuals. I mean, I think they were fearful of their retirement. They were fearful of the, what they've contributed and, and what was put aside in, in the WRS for them. They were, they were fearful. They did not want to lose any of that. But also the incredible increase in insurance and the benefits that were negotiated or bargained um, for early retirement. Individuals saw that those were going to be eliminated. And so they said, I've got to take this uh, opportunity now because, you know, I worked for 30 years and I've been uh, not getting a pay increase because I wanted that early retirement benefit. Yeah. And I, I've got to retire now. Otherwise I'm not going to get that. We also saw a large number of individuals submit retirements for this year, not only during the school year, but um, we know that they're going to submit for the end of the school year as, as well, that this, this COVID has really taken a toll on them. But we also saw a record number of younger teachers uh, resign mid-year this year. Um, why, because of the, uh, the transition to online? Uh, the, because of the COVID, being forced to go back to school, face-to-face uh, -face instruction, they were fearful of being able to uh, bring it home to their children. And they thought, you know, and several of the teachers that I talked to, I talked to a young teacher from Freedom. She, she did not resign. I thank God. She's real young. She has small children. And she said, you know, I don't have to work. My husband has a good job. We've got insurance through his work. So I'm really thinking I'm just going to resign. I don't want my children. I don't want to bring this home to my family. And uh, so, I mean, that's kind of the sentiment out there was, geez, if I don't have to work, why? And they resigned. Uh, a young teacher in Spooner, a special ed teacher, because in Spooner School District, the administration was refusing, is still refusing to require the students to wear masks. Um, she resigned. She took the penalty. She paid the fee. She says, I'm not going to put my family at risk. And she resigned, a young special ed teacher. And I thought, oh my goodness, we can't lose good teachers like that. Two final questions. Um, what, how has WEAC and DPI, what new efforts have WEAC and DPI launched to help our existing teachers be more effective online? You know, 
we meet every Monday with the Department of Public Instruction, as well as the School Boards Association, the uh, District Administrators Association, several other associations. And um, we've addressed some of that, but we haven't really collaborated together um, on um, that particular issue. But we as an organization have um, developed um, PD um, Wednesdays or, uh, you know, it's, and so today we have a professional development opportunity for educators. Um, and all of that is centered on how to be successful in this environment, how to be successful in online instruction and how to meet the needs of students. Um, you know, different things to do to help keep your sanity, self care. But we also launched um, for parents, um, open to any parent in the state of Wisconsin, uh, how to navigate through this really tough time of uh, online learning. And I, I will tell you, we get a large number of people who sign up for those virtual uh, seminars. Okay, last question. When a group of young, talented people, or maybe just one of them, comes up to you and says, you're president of WEAC, why should I become a, a teacher in Wisconsin in light of the pandemic, in light of the Act 10 legacy, What's your elevator speech in response? <laughs> oh, Steve, that's a really great uh, question. And I, I think about that often, but one of the most important things is we need really good educators. Teaching isn't a job, teaching is a calling. And we need individuals who have been called to teach. And we need you, you know, when talking to, to young people or a young person comes up to me, um, and that's what your union is all about. We're there to help you be the most successful that you can be as a classroom teacher. We're there to support you, provide you guidance, give you direction, mentorship. We want you to be successful because every single kid in the state of Wisconsin deserves a great public education with a great teacher. Ron Martin, president of the Wisconsin Education Association Council. Thanks so much uh, for uh, nothing more important than the future of our children. Ron, thank you. Yes, thanks, Steve. Take care. Be, be safe. This yes, program is a production of Wisconsin Eye, an independent, nonpartisan, nonprofit media network with a mission to inform, educate, and engage the citizens of Wisconsin. Wisconsin Eye is the nation's first and only independently funded state civics broadcast network, providing gavel-to-gavel -gavel access to government proceedings and events at the state capitol.